Welcome to this conversation. My guest today is Matthew Hahn, who is a or was a tenured teacher where he'd been teaching at Central High School in Sullivan County, Tennessee, also a baseball coach. And at this particular moment, Mr. Hahn is suspended without pay. And so we're going to take a look at how that happened and some of the issues involved and look at the future prospects for what's going to go on. So welcome to this conversation. Thank you. Thank you, Teresa, for having me. Should I call you Matthew or Matt? Either one is fine. My mom would prefer that you call me Matthew. All right, (laughs) Matthew. She didn't like it. Yeah, that's fine. We got to make mom happy. So we're off and rolling. Well, you had the crime of teaching class but you didn't teach it the way some people thought you should teach it. So in February, in your contemporary issues class, you assigned an essay. Tell us about that essay and what happened afterwards. Yeah, I received the reprimand on February the 3rd, but um, I assigned ta Coates, the first white president in January, January the 13th, actually. And the reason for that, I wasn't uh, exactly sure how to talk about the the insurrection uh, with my class. You know, news was still coming out. We were following it in real time. But uh, what I like to do in contemporary issues is to do some deep dives and making sure the students uh, understand what, what's happening in the world. So I thought it would be a good exercise to look at the 2016 election, which is one of my standards, to look at historical events and how they are impacting us today. And I asked the students in a discussion and they were at home at this point, we were doing virtual learning and um, asked them, you know, what were some of the reasons why Donald Trump won the 2016 election? Because, you know, it was a very historic election and we had a really good discussion about that. They, you know, they mentioned he's a good businessman. He resonates with voters, Russian interference among other things, social media. And I said, yes, those are all perspectives, but here's one you may not have heard of. And so I assigned that article by Mr. Coates. Okay. And the title of it is, the title of the essay is The First White President. So if people Googled The First White President and just put C-O-A-T-E-S at the end, if that's the proper spelling, they could probably find it. They would. All right. And so you were reprimanded for doing what? Well, I was reprimanded for two things. Um, uh, There was a parent complaint to the school board and to the central office who complained that the language in the the article was inappropriate for high school students. Uh, This is an upper level social studies class. And then I was not offering other perspectives to, I was not offering an opposing perspective to Ta-Nehisi Coates. And your feeling about why that wasn't necessary would be what? Did you think that they had access to other perspectives? Well, sure. You know, we were going to look at the 2016 election and, and the reasons for his election to the presidency in 2016. And there are a number of reasons for that election. Uh, I was told to stop the lesson. And so, but, but I didn't have, you know, as far as I know, no one has written a direct counter essay to Ta-Nehisi Coates as the first white president. His assertion is that Donald Trump capitalized on white anger. On white anger, yes, ma'am. Is that borne out in the statistics of who voted for Trump? 
yes, he goes into great detail as to exactly who voted for Donald Trump. Yeah, he, he does a very good job of explaining and using data to back up his thesis statement. So sure. Okay, so discussion of why do you think Donald Trump was elected? And then here's an article that might give you a different perspective. And then you're in trouble. They reprimand you. What do you do at that point? Uh, so I received the reprimand on February the 3rd. And uh, I wasn't sure what to make of it. No one from the central office had contacted me. I spoke with my principal for an hour and I explained to him, you know, the, the, the lesson as a whole and, and where we were going with that and how it was going to tie into the insurrection at the Capitol on, on January the 6th. And, um, you know, I was expecting to re- tell the central office or give the central office my lesson plans, but I never heard from them. And so at the next school board meeting on March the 4th, I appealed the reprimand on the basis that they didn't follow their own due process policies with regards to disciplining teachers. In which case you might've had a way to make your case. Is that what you were looking for at that point? Yes. um, You know, in the Sullivan County Employee Handbook or the Code of Ethical Behavior, I can't remember exactly which one, but it states specifically what the director of schools or their designee should do when disciplining teachers with a written reprimand. And one of those things were to interview me and, and get my side of the story, which they never did. They took part of my conversation with my principal which is taken way out of context. And it includes things that I did not say. And they use that as their interview. Sorry to interrupt. So Matt Hahn, you have been reprimanded. And then what do you do? You assign a video that's called White Privilege. It's a spoken poem I went on the internet and looked at it, and it is something people might want to take a look at for themselves. It's got some horrible language in it, and it is a woman who is very, very angry about the racism that she perceives in the world. What were you trying to do when you assigned that, and then what happened? We were talking, the the students brought the concept of white privilege to the class, And I allow that in my contemporary issues class, you know, if students bring something in that I feel like needs further discussion, you know, we will explore those, those concepts or those ideas. And, you know, I was really just wanting to give a good definition to what white privilege is. And I think that this, the spoken word piece, and we also read uh, Peggy McIntosh's uh, unpacking the, the invisible knapsack. And, you know, I felt like, I was just trying to introduce a powerful piece of art, you know, that her poem, it's the best definition of white privilege I ever heard. A couple of the points that were in there about what is white privilege. I know she talks about language and being lazy. And so she weaves in history with her personal perspectives, which I really, really liked. You know, she says things, you know, like uh, 400 years of transgression, and of course I'm paraphrasing here, hasn't been wiped away with the passing of the Civil Rights Act. You know, there's still more work to do. Talking about how uh, people haven't gotten over the Civil War, but yet, you know, telling African Americans to get over slavery. And, you know, it was a, a very powerful piece, and I felt the students could 
understand what the definition of white privilege is uh, better from her than, than for me. And then we were going to evaluate her claims. We were going to actually research some of the things that she claims and says to find out, you know, whether, whether or not her, her points are valid. Now, how did this coincide? Was this somewhere related to the time of Derek Chauvin's murder of George Floyd? Yes. So we were watching that trial in real time. We, you know, we were watching the news clips and we were watching uh, bits and pieces from the defense and the prosecution. And, uh, you know, we were discussing them in class and I was asking questions. And, you know, the students in, in response to one of those questions brought up white privilege and just a natural reaction as a teacher. I said, well, what is that? You know, and, and so that's where, you know, it led us into exploring what white privilege is. What age are these kids? Your high school, are they 14, 15, 16? What age group are they? They're mostly juniors and seniors. There were a couple sophomores in, in the class, 16 and up. And do you have any black kids in the class? I have some biracial students, but no African-American students. So I, t- I teach in a school that's 98% white. I just wanted to ask you about this also, because that woman, oh, and that poem, again, I want to say the name, Ky- Kyla, K-Y-L-A, Janae, J-E-N-E-E, Lacey, L-A-C-E-Y, if anybody wants to mm-hmm. look it up, the, the ideas are mind-blowing, yeah. profound, the language is how much mm-hmm. of it do you, of the objection do you think came from the anger and the F word as opposed to the ideas? Well, you know, part of their reason for dismissing me was the language. However, I did try and mute the language. Uh, I was not very successful and I admitted that, um, you know, in the reprimand, they, they had a problem with the language used by Ta-Nehisi Coates and you know, I thought that this piece was no different than To Kill a Mockingbird or Death of a Salesman or just anything else that's read by high school students. But I felt like if I could mute the language, it would keep the students from hearing it. I, I just was not very successful at that. What do you think is the reason people are reluctant to discuss and hear the anger and the raw language and the issues of racism and that they don't want kids to hear that. So the kids in your class, somebody thinks they need to protect them from this raw, difficult issue. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, I think there are a number of things. Um, you know, I think, you know, we live in a, in a white dominant culture here in Northeast Tennessee and anything that is brought in to, you know, challenge that culture is looked at as, unfortunately, indoctrination, where when that's not really the case, you know, all we are trying to do, and especially in my class, is just to develop some kind of understanding. That, that's it. And to evaluate claims, you know, we analyze and evaluate claims, and we develop an understanding for ideas. You know, I, I, I do not require my students to ascribe to any idea that I introduce in class. I've never graded a student based on their attachment to an idea or even to my ideas. I don't grade them that way, but I think it's good to have these conversations and it's good to 
you know, get differing perspectives from brilliant people like ta Coates and Kyla Janae Lacey. And Tennessee had somewhere in this same time frame had passed a law saying that it was against the law for teachers to talk about critical race theory, which basically says that this country has been systemic in its racism and that white people have oppressed black people. But the idea, the objection seems to be that it will make white kids feel bad because you don't want to tell them that they are horrible and that they're oppressive because the system is oppressive. Isn't that white privilege in itself trying to protect the white kids from feeling insulted and what about the black kids who were in there? Yeah, that you know, that's uh, a form of uh, of privilege. I think, and, and you know, Kyla says that in her poem. She says, "Anyone that asserts that this poem is reverse racism, and and it's not that at all. You know, it's just trying to develop an understanding of you know the experience of certain people in in the United States, the the experience of African Americans." for the last 400 years in the United States. Matt Hahn, my guest today, tenured teacher at uh, Central High School in Sullivan County, Tennessee, where you had been working for 13 years. 16 years. Oh, yes, okay. ma'am. Well, and now you're without a job and without pay. Yes. That has been very difficult and horrifying. Um, you know, I'm also a type one diabetic. And so, um, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do for insurance. You know, uh, my family has started uh, a GoFundMe because we don't know what's going to happen. You know, this may go on for another year or, or two years. We, we just don't know. And, and that part is, is very scary. You know, I am fortunate to have a, a very good support system, but, you know, I, not knowing whether or not I'm going to go back to the classroom and not knowing whether or not I'm going to have, you know, a paycheck and health insurance is terrifying. But what you want to do is to go back to the classroom in Sullivan County. Is that correct? You're appealing and fighting it. Yes. Yes. I'm appealing this uh, dismissal uh, because I believe that uh, what I did was in the spirit of education and the spirit of bringing ideas into the classroom and letting the students uh, decide for themselves uh, about the merit of those ideas. And the whole idea of free speech has uh, theoretically always been that we should never be afraid of ideas. But for your introducing these ideas, the school system has called you disrespectful, arrogant, insubordinate, saying that you're trying to drive a liberal perspective, that you're unprofessional, and that you should do more about varying viewpoints. What kind of support have you gotten or what kind of criticism have you gotten? What's the balance been? Um, uh, I've received an overwhelming amount of support uh, from former students to current students to colleagues and teachers all across the United States have reached out and and they support exactly what we just talked about, that, that freedom of speech, that bringing of ideas into the classroom and, and you know, letting the students uh, decide for themselves, you know, which ones that they are going to ascribe to and develop their uh, moral frameworks going forward with, you know, I've received um, a lot of support. As far as criticism, uh, you know, I, 
I've been accused of giving a liberal perspective, but those are terms that I don't use in my class. I never use liberal and conservative in my class because we take each idea on its own merit. So if I introduce an article or an idea and I call this a conservative idea, well, my students that are liberal may automatically just turn that off or my students that are conservative won't, you know, evaluate that or critically think about that the way that they should. So I, so I don't use liberal and conservative. Plus I'm still yet to find, you know, what is the liberal or conservative viewpoint to anti-racism? No one's, no one's been able to explain that to me. And I, I don't think there is a conservative or a liberal viewpoint to anti-racism. The idea that examining racism in our country is somehow a liberal approach, then what is the conservative approach? Right. You know, I have a lot of, you know, living in Northeast Tennessee, I have a lot of conservative friends. And I I believe that they would take offense to say that anti-racism is only a liberal perspective. You grew up in Kingsport. What was your youth like? What did you learn about race as you were growing up and going to school in Sullivan County? Yeah, I grew up in uh, the north, in the north zone of Sullivan County. And, you know, I I grew up K through 12 with uh, 100% white student population. You know, we didn't talk about race. You know, we, we didn't my family really didn't talk about politics around the dinner table. Um, you know, we were too busy talking about cheerleading and baseball and, you know, just other family stuff that, that kids do. You know, I, I had great teachers in high school, uh, but I had learned the lost cause fallacy in middle school. And I had great teachers in, in high school that, you know, said that slavery was the cause of the Civil War. But, you know, I I. I I didn't believe it. Uh, you know, I think I, I wanted to believe that, you know, where we are from, uh, ironically, that, you know, Northeast Tennessee was known as the Little Union. And I actually had a, I actually have a great, 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 great uncle that was a union, was a member of a, a union brigade called the Bridge Burners, who disrupted Confederate supply lines. So, but, you know, I, I didn't know that in 1994. Um but yeah, I, I didn't want to believe that slavery, you know, I wanted to believe that slavery was a benevolent institution. You say it was about states' rights. States' the, rights, right. But the yeah. right that the states wanted was to have right. slavery. Right. Free labor. Right. Yeah. Tell me again that term that you used, the something fallacy. The lost cause fallacy. So, yeah, explain that in just very briefly. Yeah, yeah. The lost cause fallacy says that Southern Confederate soldiers were fighting for their homeland, that they were repelling Northern aggression, that, you know, slavery was a benevolent institution, that that the slaves that we brought from Africa were given Christianity as a gift, that, you know, industrialization in the North was just as bad as slavery in the South, and that, you know, these Southern people were fighting for their homeland and, you know, wanted to live, uh, wanted their right to choose how to live. I said at the beginning that this story, your story, is kind of gaining traction on a national level. You had a week of appeals or three days of appeals, and now you're in the waiting game. 
You think yes. it's going to be October. The, the story is so reminiscent of the Scopes trial, where a teacher was fired in Tennessee in 1920-something for teaching evolution. And he was found guilty. And it wasn't until 1928 when they said, you can't require schools to teach a particular religious views. This is national. This is in our national memory, our national canon mm. How does it make you feel that you've stepped into an issue like this that is such a significant national issue? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I am overwhelmed, but I am also grateful for the opportunity. And, and I know that that may sound weird and, and sound different to, to your listeners out there, but, you know, I, I wish that I were back in the classroom. I, I really do. That's where I feel at home and, and I miss my students, but you know, this has brought me um, a lot of great opportunities, like speaking to you. I would have never got to meet you had it not been for this. And I, I believe in fighting for truth in education. You know, I didn't ask for this, but if I, if I am in this position, then I'm going to do everything that I can and, and use my platform and my privilege to, to stand up and fight for for this truth in education, this idea that, you know, our students want to discuss these issues about race and, and we should be accepting of that. You know, we, we should want them to, to learn these things and, and be grateful that they want to learn these things and give them the opportunity to do so. How much fight do you have in you, uh, Matthew Hahn, if they come back in October after reviewing the hearing information and notes and say your suspension is upheld, how do you fight on? How do you pay for it? How do you come get with the, uh, get the, um, the emotional fortitude to keep yeah. fighting? Well, you know, like I said earlier, I, ha I have a great support system and, you know, I, we are exploring some options after that. I, I personally don't know exactly know what they are or even know if I can speak about them, even if, if I did know what they were, but you know, there may be some other options after that. And if it doesn't, so, so this is a multi-step process. And so from what I understand that if the hearing officer sides with the central office that, you know, they were right in dismissing uh, Matthew Hahn, then I can appeal that back to the school board and then the school board can weigh the evidence that uh, was brought about in the trial. And then they can levy a decision. They can make a decision based on that evidence. And then if that doesn't go in my favor, then I can take this to chancery court. And, and also, too, for the, for the central office. So if the hearing officer decides in my favor the central office can appeal that decision to the school board. And then if the school board decides in my favor, the central office can appeal it to chancery court, which could be, you know, 12 to 16 months down the road. My goodness. Well, the school board already voted six to one to suspend you. So it doesn't seem real promising to think that it might go back to them and that the momentum would swing so much the other way. Um, well, they didn't vote to, they, they didn't vote to suspend me. This is a, 
uh, you know, I'm learning this as we go, uh, along with a lot of other people, what they voted on, and this was explained in the school board meeting, I believe on June the 8th, that they were acting as uh, sort of a grand jury, and that whenever the director of schools read the dismissal charges, if those charges are true, and, and they have no way of of knowing whether or not, but if they believe the word of the, the director of schools, then they just voted to go ahead with the appeal. That's it. They didn't vote to dismiss me. They just said, okay, we think Mr. Hahn deserves an appeal. Um, I had to ask you about how you're paying for this. Are you getting any support mm -hmm. from like a teacher's association? You said there was a GoFundMe page. Are you going to be able to meet the expenses and continue to have a lifestyle yeah. that compares to what you were used to? There have been people donating to the GoFundMe, and I'm appreciative to all of those. But, um, you know, I have a lawyer with the TEA, with my teachers union. But, you know, if there is any legal recourse outside of what I just explained, the appeal to the school board, the appeal to the chancery court, then there may, you know, then I'll have to figure out a way to pay for legal representation. This has been a fascinating conversation, and uh, I guess to end the, the uh, conversation because we're out of time is just to ask you, what final words very briefly would you say to people what you want them to know? I've been doing this job for 16 years, and I, I work very hard to keep my personal opinions out of the classroom. Of course, the kids know them because they ask me, and I, and I develop those relationships with the students. I work very hard at developing good relationships with the students because that's what they're going to remember. They're not going to remember what we learned on a Friday in March, but they will learn how they will remember how Coach Hahn treated them. And, you know, in this contemporary issues class, you know, we do look at different perspectives. We evaluate and critically think about as many different perspectives uh, as we can. And, you know, I've never had a complaint before now, never in, in 10 years of teaching this class, I've never had a complaint in 16 years. I've never had a complaint. So, um, you know, I, I would say that, uh, I hope people trust me and trust their, you know, trust their teachers and, and know that, you know, we do love our students. We do care about their education and that, you know, I want to be back there with them as soon as possible. And, and I hope on October the 11th, that will, that will be the case. Well, I hope we might be able to check back in with you as we go on down the road in the path of this case, Matthew Hahn. I can't thank you enough for being with us and to help us get some inner insight into this uh, complicated issue. It's very complicated. Yes, ma'am, it is. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again. And to the listeners, thank you for tuning in. This is This Conversation on WEHC 90.7. You can find this program on Wednesdays at 6, Sundays at 2. And please stay tuned. WEHC.